the Lord has given me a message this morning uh, from the book of Nahum. Uh, and a number of you will have been helped uh, by Nahum 1, verse 7. Uh, so I would like us to consider uh, that, that verse. Uh, so let me read, read it to you. Nahum 1, verse 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. The Lord is good, a stronghold, a fortress in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. Now, what's very interesting is that Nahum is one of the most frightening books uh, in the Bible. And in the middle of uh, some very uh, scary verses, uh, you have these words, which are a huge comfort uh, to God's people. Now, we have been looking at the book of Jonah uh, on Sunday evenings before lockdown, and uh, Jonah was used of God uh, as uh, prophets to preach in Nineveh, and they experienced a mighty awakening. There was a revival in Nineveh under the preaching of Jonah. Many people turned to God in repentance and faith. Now, Nahum is 100 years after Jonah, and Nineveh had uh, declined uh, morally and spiritually, and it was a very dark place a bit like our nation at the moment. And God raises up this prophet to bring a message of judgment. Uh, I don't want to uh, depress you this morning, uh, but if you look uh, just at chapter one of Nahum, uh, you will have uh, some very frightening uh, words. Verse two, God is jealous and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. Or verse six, who can stand before his indignation? That's his anger. And who can endure the fierceness of his wrath? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. And then you have like a ray of sunshine after a storm, uh, or uh, if you like uh, uh, music, uh, especially music after the uh, middle of the 19th century, where you have much dissonance uh, in the music. And then in the middle of all that, uh, you have a sweet melody. Uh, and that's what Nahum 1.7 is like uh, in the middle of all the messages of judgments. And I'm not a prophet. Uh, we are not prophets today, uh, but there is still uh, God's judgments upon nations. It wasn't just Nineveh uh, that experienced God's judgments. Uh, there is such a thing as the rise and fall of nations, uh, and we don't know. Uh, whether the West has had its day and uh, maybe gradually rather than suddenly uh, the West 
uh, is on the decline. Uh, it was said of the Roman Empire uh, that it was bread and circuses uh, that brought it down. Uh, it was not from the outside, but corruption from the inside. Uh, people uh, giving themselves over uh, to pleasure and sin uh, that caused that mighty empire to be no more. And we don't know uh, whether even such things as this pandemic uh, or some of uh, the uh, terrorist attacks and uh, the wars that we have experienced recently, whether these are uh, judgments from God uh, to uh, uh, bring us to our senses. Uh, it's a very uh, frightening book, uh, this little book of Nahum. And as the writer to the Hebrew said, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. For our God is a consuming fire. And all these temporal judgments of God, they are just uh, pointers to a final day of judgments. Uh, that's why the, the message of hope, which this this verse has, and incidentally, Nahum means comfort. Isn't that encouraging? Uh, that this prophet, who is raised of God to bring a message of judgment, has a gleam of hope in his message in verse 7. And uh, there is hope to be had, uh, even in these times. So, without further ado, let us look at uh, this verse, which is all about that comfort that can be ours, even in the midst of these horrible things that are going on. We, we don't know what will happen to our country. We don't know uh, whether we will uh, get ill with this virus and possibly die with it. But even if we don't, we are still one day going to die. And uh, as the Bible says, man is appointed once to die. And after that, the judgments and the only hope, the only comforts in life and in death is what we have uh, in the word of God. And this seventh verse in Nathan chapter one is what offers us such comforts. So I've got three things to say, three things uh, from this verse. What, what's the comforts? Well, the first comfort is this. The Lord is good. The goodness of God. Aren't you glad that God is good? Uh, you've got it throughout the Bible. I've just got a list of verses just from the book of Psalms here. Let me just refer you to some of them. Psalm 25 verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord. He's not corrupt. Uh, like human rulers, good and upright. Psalm 119, uh, we could pick many verses, but verse 68, you are good and do good. And then Psalm 136, verse 1, give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because he is good and his goodness endureth forever. And then one more, Psalm 145, verse 9. The Lord is good to 
all. God is good. Now, our problem is we tend to have a God of our own making, and uh, he's not going to be uh, like the God of the Bible, because we are all fallen creatures, and many people, uh, they tend to uh, make uh, the goodness of God into uh, something flabby, uh, something uh, that is contrary to this kind of goodness that we have in this verse. Uh, uh, When I was a boy, I used to think of God as some Father Christmas figure uh, sitting in the clouds uh, who uh, would uh, be benign, uh, would have no power, would just be good in a sentimental sort of way. But, but that's not the God of the Bible. Indeed, this verse, which talks about the Lord being good, is in the middle, as I said, of verses that are full of the righteous anger of God. And it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, if you mention uh, people from history, uh, really uh, evil, uh, wicked Uh, People like Hitler, uh, Stalin, uh, Pol Pot, uh, then uh, people uh, will say uh, God can't just uh, forgive what those people did. Uh, He can't just allow them into heaven. There's got to be some kind of punishments for the Hitlers and the Stalins and the Pol Pots of this world. So the goodness of God cannot mean uh, that God isn't just that there is no hell it cannot mean that but then some of us can go to the other extreme and we tend to think of God as austere and harsh and uh, always uh, judging us but no uh, even Nahum says the Lord is good and even the wrath of God and the anger of God is righteous. It is pure. It is not like us, say, losing our temper. Uh, That's not God's anger. God's anger is his uh, pure, holy uh, abhorrence of everything that is unclean and sinful. So God is good, not in an unbalanced way, like the gods we make up, but God's goodness is something completely uh, pure. God's goodness is perfect. What do I mean by that? Uh, well, he can't be improved upon. Now, everybody in this world, even the best of people, uh, always need to be better. Uh, if you're uh, a runner, uh, you need to train. Uh, in order to perform better. Uh, Even we preachers, uh, we uh, need to have feedback in order to preach better. But you can never say of God that he needs to be better. When we think of God as good, then God is perfect already, 100% good. His goodness in the time of Nahum uh, is the same as it is today. God can never be improved upon. And then there's something else about the goodness of God. 
whatever goodness we find in life, whether it's the milk of human kindness, and that's true, isn't it? Even people who are not Christians can can be kind and tender. Well, that's like uh, a sign of the image of God in us. Uh, the, the goodness of God is reflected in you and I. So can I just say it again, and I'm sure you will agree, aren't you glad that God is good this morning? That the sovereign ruler of the universe isn't a bad character, but it's inherently good. Uh, we didn't uh, sing this morning, uh, but uh, let me quote uh, the uh, rendition of the 100th Psalm. Oh, enter then his gates with praise. Approach with joy his courts unto. Praise, Lord, and bless his name always, for it is seemly so to do. Is that your desire this morning? For why? For why? The Lord our God is good. His mercy is forever sure, is truth at all times firmly stood, and shall from age to age endure. What effect does this goodness of God have on you, I wonder? Uh, Paul says to the Romans, the goodness of God should lead us to repentance. It should bring us to our senses. Uh, I... Uh, Sometimes I've used this illustration. Uh, a man uh, has a hat on and it's um, a windy day and he goes outside. And however strong the wind is blowing, the man is keeping hold of his hat. And then uh, the wind dies down and the sun comes out. And what the wind couldn't do, even the strong strongest uh, gusts the sun managed to do. Uh, the heat from the sun caused the man to finally take off his hats. Now, for many of us, it is the wind of conviction of sin that brings us to our senses, that makes us realize that we're not ready to die, that we're not right with God, that we are sinners in need of a savior. But you know what? For some people, it's not so much the justice of God, even though that's an important thing, but it's the goodness of God, uh, like the sun causing that man to take his hat off. It is that which woos them to the place where they see that they need Jesus Christ. Has the goodness of God, I wonder, brought some of you to repentance? You may not have been greatly convicted of sin. You haven't been through the chasm of conviction, but you can say, when I see what God is like, and especially what his son, Jesus Christ, is like, his goodness, and I see myself as no good, oh, that melts my heart. The goodness of God. Another effect, the goodness of God, uh, can have us... Uh, can have on us is make us see, uh, even in difficult circumstances, uh, God is overruling. Uh, I don't know why we had hitches this morning with the technology, 
but I'm sure in God's goodness, there is some purpose to it. Uh, many of us uh, know the catchphrase of uh, one of our church missionaries. So those of you uh, listening in electronically who are not part of our church will not know of the Jovans, our missionaries in Haiti. They're both in their 70s now. And Martinez Jovan has a phrase uh, which has become like, like a catchphrase. And it's three words. God is good. And, you know, the Jovans have never had an easy time. Uh, Haiti is one of the poorest countries in the world. Only recently uh, they had an earthquake and many were killed. But we still had this phrase uh, from uh, Martinez. He would end his letters uh, full of discouraging information. He would end the letter with the watchword, God is good. Can you say that, a believer, even though you have been through difficult times? Maybe you're finding lockdown extremely frustrating. Um, it's maybe easier for some of us who don't have young children to look after. But, oh, for with lively children. Oh, it's, uh, but can we still say, God is good? I can't see. Uh, what goodness at the moment is coming out of it. But I'm going to trust in this. God is good. What a comfort in difficult times. Uh, Ron Macefield, who went to be with the Lord recently, he had some very difficult experiences in the last few months. But in it all, uh, he uh, would confess God is good. So that, that's the first thing, the goodness of God. In the darkness, this shines as a light. Uh, when I was preparing this sermon, it was spring. And, you know, those beautiful cherry blossoms uh, that uh, we have on some of the roads here in Cardiff, they were in bloom. And a quotation came to me. Uh, it's uh, from some years now. Uh, Dennis Potter, the playwright, he was dying of cancer. He only had a few weeks left, I think. And Melvin Bragg was interviewing him. And he was talking about a blossom. Uh, he said this. So Dennis Potter, I don't think he was a believer. Uh, he was saying, uh, below my window in ross on uh, there is this blossom out in full now. It's a plum tree. It looks like apple, uh, but uh, the blossoms are white. And looking at it, Instead of saying, oh, that's a nice blossom, that's what he would normally have said. I see it. It is the whitiest, frothiest, blossomest blossom that ever could be. And I can see it. Things are both more trivial and they are both more important than they ever were. Now, if a non-Christian can say that, how much more can we believers say because of the goodness of God, even in this lockdown, hasn't the natural world uh, looked more beautiful than ever before? And as Christians, we can say, can't we, heaven above, you know the words, heaven above, you can say after me if you want, is softer blue, earth around, is sweeter green, something lives in every hue, Christless eyes have never seen, birds with gladder 
songs o'erflow, flowers with deeper beauties shine. Since I know, as now I know, I am his, and he is my, can you say that? I am his, and he is my God is good. That's the first reason uh, we can be greatly comforted, even in troubling times. And then Nahum gives us another reason. Let's hurry uh, through this reason. Not only is he good, but in a special way, he is good to those that are his. What is it? A stronghold in the day of trouble. Now, we've already come across uh, this metaphor in Psalm 46. God as a fortress. But in the 46th Psalm, we were thinking more about a city like the city of Jerusalem. Uh, defending its inhabitants from the enemies. But Nahum is thinking of a, of a tower, a stronghold. Uh, and he says, it doesn't matter how great the trouble is. It doesn't matter uh, how much uh, the, the um, waves may roar. There is a strong tower. Uh, and that's what God uh, can be to you and me in such times impregnable, uh, safe, uh, uh, fortress uh, of defense, and we can be hiding in it. And even though uh, the, the waves may be crashing against us, we can feel absolutely safe. You know, like when uh, uh, you were a child and you'd be snuggled up in bed on a, a stormy night, uh, the wind may be howling outside and the rain may be beating upon the window. But oh, how much more comfortable uh, you are in bed because of the circumstances. Now, we started our service this morning with a verse which, believe it or not, is the central verse in the Bible. Um, those of you who are mathematicians, there are 31,101 verses in the Bible. And the middle verse is Psalm 118, verse 8, believe it or not. And it says, we had it at the beginning, it is better to take refuge, that is to shelter in the Lord, than to trust in man. Have you found God to be your fortress, your strong tower in the day of trouble. Now, you may think, you know, Nahum, Nahum, <laughs> who was he? He was a prophet of a backward nation, uh, uh, prophesying against the great Assyrian Empire. <laughs> How can such a uh, motley crew uh, be uh, safe? Uh, just a small group of people. You know, I was brought up in Sandidno in North Wales, and uh, along the North Wales coast, We've got some of the best castles in the world, I think. I'm biased, I know. Uh, but the castles that were built uh, by the Normans, not the Welsh, they are some of the grandest castles in the world. Conwy, Fiumaris, Carnarvon, Harlech, mighty fortresses. But also in North Wales, you have castles built by the Welsh. And I'm afraid they're not much to look at. And the one that comes to mind is Dolwyn Ellen Castle. Uh, on the uh, foot of Moel Shabbat, uh, there's the little village of Dolwyn Ellen. And 
Galway Island Castle is not like Conway Castle. It's just one tower, one tower. Uh, it doesn't look like much of a defence. And people will think, how can uh, Nahum uh, be uh, talking about a fortress that can defend us against all the troubles that this life can throw at us? It's like Dolwyn Island. It's, it's too small, too insignificant. In our reading, uh, Jesus Christ, who is the tower, right? Jesus Christ. I'll explain that in a bit. But Jesus Christ says, uh, John 14, peace, peace. I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. How can Jesus Christ offer such peace? When he spoke those words, he was 33 years old, 33 years old. He'd only been ministering for three years. Where was he from? He was from a backwater place called Galilee, Nazareth, one of the dumps in that part of the country. He was from a poor family. His father had died probably and he was a carpenter and Jesus would have taken over the family business. Blue collar job. He was a nobody. He was part of a nation that had come under uh, the power of the mighty Romans. And yet this man, this carpenter's son, is the one that is our hope. You know, when you think of Jesus Christ and his church, uh, it's, it's not uh, the big cathedrals and uh, the money of Roman Catholicism that we should be thinking of. It's not the gold in uh, the Orthodox Church. It's this poor, humble carpenter. And... A day after he uttered these words, these words were uttered uh, uh, during the Last Supper. And soon after that, he, he was nailed on a Roman cross in complete and utter shame. He was naked. He'd been whipped. He'd been falsely accused. He was condemned uh, to the worst form of torture ever devised by man. The shame of the cross. How can a mere nobody and one whose life was cut short in such a shameful way, how can he be the one that offers us hope? Well, we know the answers, don't we? Do you know? It's my pleasure just to remind myself and you of things we're already familiar with. But you know what? Tell me the old, old story of Jesus and his love. That carpenter's son was not just Joseph and Mary's son. He was none other than the son of God, the eternal son of God, having become a man. Jesus Christ, the God-man, God visited and lived in Nazareth of Galilee for 30 years. Um, some of us have been tickled um, seeing in the news uh, how uh, 
a small village near Dublin has had the privilege of uh, Matt Damon, the Hollywood actor, uh, the A-list actor, uh, staying there during lockdown and people uh, photographing themselves with Matt Damon. Well, he's only going to be there for a bit and he's only a Hollywood actor. Think about it. For God himself to dwell in our midst for 30 so years and for that perfect son of God to hang on that cross not because he deserved it but because he was taking the punishments that you and I deserve yes Nahum is full of God's judgments uh, the Bible is full of God's judgments Jesus Christ in his preaching mentions hell more than heaven but this is the good news this is the comfort this is why God in Christ can be our strong fortress it's because that judgment doesn't have to come on you or on me it's because that judgment has been born by another even Jesus Christ the spotless son of God that's not fair, you say. If he didn't do anything wrong, why should he pay the price for other people's sins? I can't answer. I can't. But I do know this, that God so loved even this dark, sick world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, that includes you, whoever, believes in him, however bad you may be, however long you may have stayed away from him, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We hear, don't we, of people going through hell. That's how they describe a difficult experience. But you know what? That's nothing like the real hell that awaits people after death eternal judgments and what happened on the cross when Jesus Christ you've got Christian martyrs dying glorious death full of hope but the spotless son of God didn't die a glorious death he cried out in dereliction my God my God why hast thou forsaken me why because he suffered hell condensed an eternal hell condensed into three hours you were sin and mine taken upon him so that we could go at last to heaven saved through his precious blood isn't that comfort comfort in life comfort in death comfort for all eternity uh, you will know members of the congregation uh, that one of my interests is mountains and you know Dolwyd Allen Castle nothing to look at Jesus of Nazareth, uh, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Nothing special to look at, even though he's the son of God. The cross, the most shameful of things, the offense of the cross. Nothing to look at. Mount Calvary, if you're in mountains. I, I was in Jerusalem uh, before the summer. And whether you take Gordon's Calvary or the Church of the Holy Sepulchre as Mount Calvary, both of them are nothing more than hillocks. Hillocks. They're not mountains. And yet, this 
is the centerpiece of the Bible. Indeed, this is the very crux of history. This little mountain, not a green hill, but the waste dump of Jerusalem, the place of the skull and a ragged cross, the old ragged cross. And if you want to see hell in all of its fury and horror, you just have to go back 2,000 years ago, see Jesus Christ on the Mount of Crucifixion. We've got a Welsh hymn which talks about it. On the Mount of Crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide through the floodgates. Listen, hell yes, but through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above and heaven's peace and perfect justice kiss embraced a guilty world in love. That's why Jesus Christ is our strong tower in the midst of all the tempests and storms that this life can throw at us. And especially when we're faced with death and the storm of hell and God's judgment afterwards, we can have a comfort in life, comfort in death, because Jesus Christ has borne the brunt of the storm of God's anger for our sins, and that there is no more condemnation to us if we're resting in him. So that's the second hope here. This is a comfort. Have you, have you come to shelter under Calvary? Uh, beneath the cross of Jesus, said one person, I fain would take my stand, the shadow of a mighty rock within a weary land. Oh, safe and happy shelter. Oh, refuge tried and sweets. Oh, trusting place where heaven's love and heaven's justice meet. And very quickly, there's one third thing I want to say about this comfort. Not only is God good, not only is he a stronghold, a fortress in the day of trouble, but he knows, he knows those who trust in him. There's a lovely promise here. When it says God knows us, it doesn't just mean he knows about us. When I was a teacher, just for four years, uh, we had a head teacher who didn't know the names of all the staff. He knew our numbers. I was number 59. I can still remember the number. Number 59. God isn't like that with those who trust in Jesus Christ. God knows you. He knows you by name if you trust in Jesus Christ. And this word knows isn't just that he knows those that will come to trust in him. He knows from before time who would trust in him. Now, we haven't got time to go into that now, but this is amazing. I am his and he is mine forever and forever. Oh, my friend, if you're hiding in Jesus Christ, which is another way of saying, if you're trusting in him as your only hope, then you are known of God the Father and your name is written and engraven on the heart of Jesus Christ. He didn't stay on the cross. He rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven and he's at the right hand of the Father. There are two in heaven now 
remembering you, remembering you. And he's given you his spirit. He's in your heart. He's in your heart. Let not your heart be troubled. My peace I leave with you. Uh, John Newton, uh, author of the famous hymn Amazing Grace, he wrote to one Christian, uh, a friend who lost a child. A terrible, terrible tragedy. And this is what he said in one of his letters. Well worth reading the letters of Newton. You are in the wise and merciful hands of one who prescribes for you with unerring wisdom and has more tenderness than can be found in all human hearts put together. That's the kind of heavenly father we have. More kindness and tenderness than can be found in all human hearts. to come to a conclusion here but if, if you're not a christian this morning you, you haven't got this shelter from the storm you have to face these troubles of life on your own you may have friends you may have a partner but they they, they can't be with you always they will let you down and they will one day die but don't you want to have a strong tower that is always there for you. Don't you want to have a father in heaven who is working together all things for your good, who knows you better than you know yourself? Let, let me end with a couple of illustrations. I just want to be sure that we find Jesus Christ and hide in him as our fortress. Uh, if you ever do go to Israel, and it's well worth visiting, You've got the famous Masada Fortress on the west side of the Dead Sea. And it's impregnable. It's, uh, before they built the cable car, <laughs> it's easy to get to now, but before they built that, there was only one way into the fortress. And it's called the Snake Path. It goes like a zigzag uh, up to the fortress. You've got all these cliffs and they look unsurmountable. And then there is one way, one way to get to that fortress. It looks impossible, but there is a narrow way that will get you to safety. And you know what? It's like that with Jesus. In our reading, Jesus said, I am the way. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said, I am the narrow way, like that snake path, uh, there aren't many that are walking on it. Uh, you have to become unpopular to turn to Jesus Christ, to admit that you are a sinner, to admit that you are not ready to die, to admit that you need not just somebody to save you, but that you need somebody to shelter you, to be that haven of rest. But there's no other way you must turn from the broad road and walk this narrow path. Trust in him alone. Trust in him alone. Are you going to do that? And those of us who are believers, are we going to, as I was trying to say to the children, keep on looking to him? One more illustration to help us here. One of the things I'll be definitely doing once the lockdown is over is climbing some mountains again 
Uh, and one of my favourite mountains in Wales is Trevan in North Wales. And there's a very uh, famous route up Trevan called the North Ridge. Uh, you start at the bottom and there's some climbing and then you get halfway up. And up till that point, you've had a number of variations in routes you can take. Some are more difficult than others. But you get halfway up and there is this wall of rock. There's only one way. There's only one way. And the way is up. And the way is on the rock. And it looks impossible. It's not. It's not. You have to kind of step out in faith, literally, <laughs> and put your foot in the foothold and your hand in the handhold. But you know what? It's absolutely safe. It's Trevan. Uh, somebody described Trevan as honest rock. The handholds are big. The footholds are sturdy. It's honest rock. You are safe. That's the only way. It looks impossible, but you are all right. It's exactly like that when we step out in faith and trust Jesus Christ. He is honest rock, isn't he? On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground, I can't trust. It's sinking sand, but honest rock. All the promises of God are yes and amen in him. One of the last letters Paul wrote uh, to Timothy, he said, it's a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. Very well. Nahum, it means comforts. Even in the middle of dark days and calamities and God's judgments, there is a comfort in the good God we serve, who has provided in his son, Jesus Christ, a refuge, a fortress, a strong tower. And we, even you this morning, can put your trust in him. May we be able to say, I trust in you alone, for his name's sake.